working with avatars or working just with, you know, video calls, it can happen that you forget that there's actually people around, that there are people behind the screens, that they have families. Welcome to the Super Managers Podcast, where we interview leaders from all walks of life to tease out the habits, thought patterns, learnings, and experiences that help them be extraordinary at the fine craft of management. Our goal is to bring you the lessons and the insights so that you don't have to learn through your own mistakes, but so that you can shortcut your way to being a great leader. This podcast is brought to you by Fellow, a software platform that helps managers and their teams collaborate on meeting agendas, track action items, and turn the chaos of meetings into productive work sessions. Check it out at www.fellow.app. Hey, fellow managers and leaders, I'm Aiden, and I'm the CEO of Fellow.app. Today's guest is Marcus Wermut, who is an engineering and product manager at Buffer, a social media management platform used by more than 75,000 companies around the world. Marcus is an advocate for remote work, and he's deeply passionate about helping other managers build effective distributed teams. In today's episode, Marcus talks about the challenges that come with having a leadership team that is spread across six time zones, but also dives into why looking for talent from east to west is powerful and why for Buffer it was intentional. Marcus and I also talk about asynchronous meetings and the importance of making sure your meetings are bi-directional and personal. If you take one thing from this conversation, it's that as remote leaders, we have to remember that the people we work with are more than their online avatars. As Marcus puts it, it's important to understand that they're humans with lives, families, and interests. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. So without further ado, here's Marcus Wermuth on episode 27 of the Super Managers podcast. Marcus, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. You know, obviously you're no stranger to remote. You've uh, been doing remote for most of your professional career and certainly at Buffer. Buffer is an all remote company, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, I theoretically, I've worked my whole professional life like remotely. Like I was a freelancer and worked with various companies and startups. And I think always a funny note that I mentioned is I think the longest that I've worked in a big office is like six months or so. <laughs> wow, six months. Okay, well, I guess in- enough time for you to know that you don't want to do it on an ongoing basis. No, no, definitely not. Yeah, I've been at Buffer now for the past five years. And as you already mentioned, Buffer doesn't have an office. Um, we're distributed from Australia to the West Coast of the US, so basically across the whole world. Yeah, so I think you know we're going to spend a lot of time today talking about Obviously, remote remote management, you know, the stuff that you live and breathe every day. Um, but before we jump into it, I did want to ask you a few questions. And, uh, you know, the first one is really just going back and throughout your career to ask you, and I know you've worked with a lot of different companies, especially when when you were like an agency mindset. I just wanted to ask you, so from, from all the different bosses that you've had, which one has been your most favorite or more most memorable and why? That's a really good question. The funny thing is that I've worked a long time as a freelancer and worked mostly with clients, but we can consider them bosses in a way too. Um, two that come to mind, I, I want to highlight maybe one that kind of pushed me in another direction. It wasn't maybe a good boss and the other one that was maybe a very good boss and that helped me kind of get to where I'm at right now. One 
was kind of the CEO of a small startup that I worked with. And I worked as a freelancer or was part of the team, but we had to be in a certain place for three days or so a week. And I had to travel like one and a half hour every time back and forth. And I, of course, pitched the idea, hey, listen, I can also work from home. You know, like it's going to be the same. We might have to change some things. But he was very against it and kind of was very forcing of, hey, we all have to be here. And, you know, like the boss that has that old mindset of managing people. The problem was that person was even younger than me. So there was like a young person having like an old management and leadership style that kind of really pushed me into another direction and looked even more into the remote work field and how that all works. Another example, I think a better example, probably I would have to say is my current manager, Katie. She's the VP of engineering at Buffer. And I think that I've learned a lot about humans and managing humans from her, I would say. And I think that has probably been the most influential person when it comes to, to managing remotely. So what have you learned specifically? What what makes uh, what makes her a great boss? Well, I think the biggest thing I learned from her is just being you know empathetic and working with humans, understanding them, whether that's giving feedback, you know, getting feedback, or managing people that are spread across the whole world. You know, like you have to do with different cultures, with different mindsets. There's a lot of diversity. So getting into that, I think that's probably what I learned from her. Um, when it when it comes to yeah remote teams and distributed teams you know? yeah so let let's dig in a bit on that yeah how many people work at Buffer today uh, I think it's around ninety eighty nine or ninety yeah and so I mean you know one of the things that uh, you just mentioned is you know a lot of these people and and especially even the the people on your teams they're in different time zones uh, from different cultures I'd love for you to elaborate like. How many time zones are there in your team and, and what kind of different countries exist for people who work at Buffer? Um, my team is six people, including me. Uh, we have six time zones and we have five countries in just this small team that I am, you know? So we have someone in Taiwan, someone in India, me in Germany, someone in the UK, and then two time zones in the US. So we're basically spread from east to west, which makes... This whole thing kind of a bit more complicated if you look at it from, you know, as the first thing. You see six people and they're spread as far as they could be. So there's a lot of challenges that come with it, but there's also a lot of good things that come with it. The first challenge that you, of course, notice, like you can't have one meeting where everyone will be around. Like that's not possible because, you know, people also have to sleep. And I, I, I'm a manager where I don't want to force people to wake up in the middle of the night to attend a meeting, right? People might have people they have to care for or they have kids. They can't just wake up at 1 or 2 a.m. Marcus, let me ask you a question about that because this is a very interesting thing. And a lot of people, you know, I think a, a certain mindset around uh, just different time zones is that, you know, try to have at least some overlap time. But are you saying that there's, for all intents and purposes, no overlap time between all the different time zones? Yeah, in my team, I mean, we do have overlap. I... I'm actually in a very good position because I'm right in the middle in Europe. I can, you know, chat to the east part of the world and can chat to the west part of the world. But the person in India rarely gets to meet the person in San Francisco. It's just not possible because of times, right? And um, we we did that intentionally when I was hiring. Like we didn't want to limit ourselves to just one time zone because we wanted to hire the best person that's out there, right? So time zone is a tricky thing, but it's also not 
you know, it's not the biggest problem. You can work around that. So how does it work? So do you guys have uh, staff meetings together or, you know, how do you make it work across all the different time zones? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, we had when I think before we had someone in India and Taiwan, we had a weekly a weekly meeting where you know engineers me we were getting together and and just chat about the week and what's going on but we had a designer and join our team and she moved back to her home country taiwan and we made the intentional decision okay we could either do a, a meeting every week and record it for one person and that person has to watch a recording all the time but we thought that this is not really fun right watching a video of your team having fun every week isn't really the best way to build and bond a great team. So we decided against it. And we basically don't have, as you call it, staff meeting. We don't have a team meeting every week. Um, I do one-on-ones. I do see everyone every week uh, on a video call, but we don't get together as one group. We have other ways. And we do that with, as you probably, some of you might've heard in an async way. So we don't chat synchronously. We chat asynchronously. Um, We use a tool called Threads. Um, which basically is replacing all our email communication and a lot of our internal longer threaded discussions. And what we do there is we do a weekly meeting in there, which is written, which right now it's like a a second iteration of it. We always keep evolving it. It's basically three questions, which, you know, it's probably not new to all of you, but we ask what's been going on right now, what's like the most important thing they worked on, Secondly, what they're stuck on and what they're planning on next week. Mostly we we kind of write that thread on like Thursdays or Fridays. So that kind of gives you the high level idea. And then we also have like a personal question that we ask just to get like the personal feeling in there, which can be what did you want to be when you were eight years old or what's your favorite movie, right? Just to get to know the person. It has been working well, but of course, not seeing the people in a team setting is definitely tricky. I'm not saying it's the best way, but it has been working for us pretty well right now. Yeah, that makes sense. So so it's interesting, like this concept of an asynchronous meeting. And I guess if you think about it, um, a lot of meetings can be asynchronous meetings. And, and you probably, you know, for a lot of the things that we, we do obviously have on at, at the same exact time, uh, probably a lot of those things could actually be at different times. But I guess like for your one-on-ones, though, uh, you don't do that for your one-on-ones. You, you do have like synchronous meetings for your one-on-ones. Yeah. Uh, before I dive into that, one quick thought that came up while you mentioned, you know, like that a lot of meetings can actually be um, async. There's a part that where in remote work, that's actually much more of a benefit to you because if things are written down, they're much more easily accessible to, you know, people that are in different time zones that aren't around or just for gathering context. You know, if things only happen in meetings, only the people in that meeting will get a hang of it. And if you actually have it written down and it's shared transparently with a much wider audience, then knowledge sharing and information sharing just becomes much more easier. And this will help you, your team, and the whole company if it's you know fully remote, just in like productivity-wise, like it will kind of, I don't know, 100x all of this because just video meetings won't help you there. Just wanted to add that. Yeah, I guess like a lot of, you know, a lot of work does obviously happen in meetings. And so uh, if you, if everything is all of a sudden written down, then yes, of course, that's knowledge sharing. People could look up decisions. If they're wondering what got discussed about a certain customer, maybe those things could be accessible. Yes, exactly. So, and then is it, I guess, a culture within your team that all meetings are obviously 
public and like everybody can see them so that can any everybody in buffer see the content of any of your meetings well it depends where you share them right there has to still be an intentional action behind it for example in threads we have various let's call them like channels and in the, in my team's channel like it's open and everyone who's in that channel can see the meeting notes of like our async meetings for other meetings that are you know maybe not sensitive to people management things if they are shared somewhere or if summaries are shared, they are also transparently accessible. For example, when all our engineering managers get together and chat every week, those meeting notes aren't transparently available, but we do share a summary of it because we might chat about, you know, people related things that aren't necessarily, mm, we aren't possible, like it's not possible to share them widely with the audience because they might be, you know, very vulnerable things that we might chat about there. So it depends on the meeting and it depends on your intended action, right? So all maybe team meetings that are, for example, for product teams or for uh, engineering teams, like those meetings generally are very transparent because it just, you know, helps with alignment across all the teams. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. So I guess the way that your team is currently structured, uh, obviously five different time zones, like you said, India and San Francisco, very, very difficult to get everybody at the same time. So, you know, obviously you, you choose not to because it's it's so difficult that um, it's it's probably not worth it. But I guess my question was that if you had three time zones, for example, and it was possible and there was overlap, would you then ch still choose to do an async meeting or would you do a synchronous one? Hmm. That's a very good question. I would maybe do a mix. I would generally default to async nowadays because as I already mentioned, the knowledge sharing and the writing down is much more helpful than being in a meeting. But I would always add a meeting if I can on top of it where... Maybe it's not an hour, maybe it's just 20 minutes or 30 minutes where we get to bond and chat about things that we have to chat about that aren't possible. Like we can't write about them because it would take us, I don't know how many back and forth. So um, I think the mix would be the best in my opinion, if I could do it. Yeah. So it sounds like for getting stuff done, for knowledge sharing, an asynchronous meeting, again, it forces a lot of good behavior. Yes. You know, so maybe some people are super disciplined and they do all those things, they write things down, they share it. But when you're doing an asynchronous meeting, again, it forces good behavior. But for bonding, um, those are the sorts of things that like if if possible, you would still default to uh, people seeing each other. Yeah, 100%. And that's also to come back to your question before where I kind of, you know, distracted us is the one-on-ones, you know, like that's, I know it's just a one-on-one -on -one meeting, but those are the meetings that for me are are crucial as a manager. Like they are the most important thing for me in the week. Yeah. So tell me about how you um, how you run these uh, remote one-on-ones. I think they're not too different. Like there's probably, you know, nuances, but they're probably similar to what you would do in a one-on-one. -on -one. Um, my main thing that I tell people when we start one-on-ones is this is time for them with me. So they are responsible for the agenda. Sometimes I do add things, right? But I want them to kind of define what we're going to chat about every week. We have weekly one-on-ones. I'm very keen on doing that because there's a lot that's happening, you know, in a, in a distributed team, even being async, right? I don't want to wait two weeks to chat to someone. So it's weekly. They are defining the agenda. There's like this 90-10 rule um, that I've also written in, in a blog post where I want them to kind of contribute 90% of the agenda. And I, if I want to add 10% to the agenda. So this is kind of the very general gist of it. And then I also have um, kind of the time structure that I use where I say that the first 15 minutes, I, I don't want to chat about work. 
right? Because as you know, we already chatted, I don't get a lot of FaceTime with, with my team, at least on video. So I do want to know what's going on in their life, right? Like, how's the coffee? Like, what movie did you watch yesterday? How are the kids? What's your dog doing? Or like, where did you go on the weekend? I know this sounds funny, but, you know, things like that normally happen in an office. If you work in an office, you walk across the hall, you go into the coffee kitchen and you meet your team or you meet people and you talk. Oh, hey, Aiden, how was your weekend, right? That happens naturally. But in a remote work, in remote work and in a remote fully distributed team, you have to be intentional about those things because they don't just happen, right? So that's why I set up my my one-on-ones. I, I don't put a timer on, you know, but it's just that, hey, listen, we chat about, you know, the first 10 to 15 minutes, we chat about your life, what's been going on. Maybe I'll share something, what I've been doing, right? It's not just one directional, it's like bi-directional. We both chat about our lives. And only then we dive into the agenda and we talk about the things that have been coming up. So that's kind of the very general structure of my one-on-ones that I do every week with all my teammates. Hey there, just a quick note before we move on to the next part. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably already doing one-on-one meetings. But here's the thing. We all know that one-on-one meetings are the most powerful, but at the same time, the most misunderstood concept and practice in management. That's why we've spent over a year compiling the best information, the best expert advice into this beautifully designed 90-plus page ebook. Now, don't worry. It's not single-spaced font, you know, lots of text. There's a lot of pictures. It's nice, easily consumable information. We spent so much time building it, and the great news is that it's completely free. So head on over to fellow.app slash blog to download the definitive guide on -on one-on-ones. It's there for you. We hope you enjoy it, and let us know what you think. And with that said, let's go back to the interview. I love that you you know you're putting in the the structure to make sure to talk about things that are not work and I, I think you know part of it is like if you're genuinely interested uh, in the people on your team, you know, you just come from it from a human perspective of like, I'm genuinely interested in in learning about you know how things are going. I think a lot of this stuff will um, you know naturally fall into place. And you talk a lot about this. I know I know that you have this book coming up um, called Making Virtual Leadership Human. I'd love for you to tell us uh, a wh- when can we read the book uh, and and two. Uh, you know, what is the general premise of and, and what are you trying to address uh, by writing it? Very good question. Thanks for bringing it up. Well, I'm, I'm, I don't want to say I'm in the middle of it. Like it's not done yet, but I hope that the draft and everything will be done this year. So around this year, end of this year, start of next year, hopefully it should be around. And the, t- the, the one, the title you mentioned, it's actually the subtitle, you know, it's called Beyond Avatars, um, Making Virtual Leadership More Human. Because as we already talked about, you know, like, Theoretically, I don't see my team if I don't want to see them, right? If I wouldn't have the one-on-ones, I wouldn't see them. So working with avatars or working just with, you know, video calls, you don't, it can happen that you forget that there's actually people around, that there are people behind the screens, that they have families, that they work in the middle of their house when COVID is happening. And, you know, I had one one person in my team, um, he had to work from home because everything was closed. He normally works from a co-working space. And he he doesn't have a home office, right? He has a small home. He has three small kids and he had to work from his bedroom. And everyone 
every week on our one-on-one, we had to cut them short for like 20, 30 minutes because his kids were just flying around. Even even if, you know, his wife would tell him like, yeah, you can do it there. I'll keep the kids there. I mean, they're kids, right? So sometimes we do forget that if we work just with avatars or if we work virtually and in very asynchronous nature. So my book and the whole idea behind it is that we don't forget there's humans behind the screens. Like that's the very general gist of it. In my opinion, and that's kind of the way I approach management and that's how I have grown into it, is to not start with your team first, right? But to look inside first. When I started out, right, I I got a leadership coach. I had therapy. So the working on yourself for me is very important because it teaches you a lot about your strength, your weaknesses, how maybe you get triggered by certain things and how, you know, you can also be more empathetic to people. And that kind of is then the entryway into, you know, mastering your communication, being able to actually talk to people, to understand their cultures, to then ultimately building, a, you know, that that hot word about philosoph- uh, psychological safety, right? To build a very psychological safe team where everyone is connected, where everyone knows each other in kind of a deeper way than just, hey, this is my colleague, right? Because it's so needed in this fully distributed remote world because we do tend to lose track of with whom, with what person we're actually working with, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, it, it's really interesting. There are a lot of benefits uh, to remote work. Obviously, you know, it's it's a long list and, you know, we're not going to list them all out here. But, you know, one of the one of the key benefits is that you're able to, you know, for example, hire uh, the best person for the job, no matter where they live, uh, no matter what their circumstances. And so, um, but... Like we, we have to keep in mind that like if you want to take advantage of some of these really, really great things, you do have to do the work. And like part of that work is, like you mentioned, really getting to know the people as humans because it's it's harder to do. The benefits are totally worth it, but it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, you're not going to do the work and get all, all of the benefit. Yeah, totally. I mean... Ultimately, remote work is still work, right? All the work has to still to happen. But yeah, you have to be everything when it comes to, you know, team culture, team bonding, or, you know, like just the coffee chats, everything in remote work, you have to put more effort and more intention into making those things happen. Because in remote work, rarely does something just happen. You have to set it up. You have to, you know, build a routine. You have to make it available so that it actually can happen. You know, whether that's, for example, coffee chats, right? How do we do those? Like, there's a lot of companies that do those. You go into your coffee coffee kitchen, you meet someone, you chat. How does it work in remote work? Well, we have uh, a bot, a lot of remote companies use it called Donut. And every week it pairs you with another person. And then you can, if you want to, you know, once a week chat with that person. Next week it changes to another person just to create that serendipitous moment where you get to meet someone in the hall and chat for 15 minutes, right? But it doesn't happen. We have to set it up with a bot, with a tool that's or a process that's inside our company, inside our culture to make all those things happen. That's kind of the, the very general idea of what you just said. You know, when it comes to remote work, you have to put in the effort and the intention. Yeah. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And, you know, I, I like the, the concept of using technology to connect people in that way. You know, I remember, um, you know, in, in one of my last companies, uh, we had a multi- like it was a multi-office uh, company, offices in different countries. And uh, it, you know, just the concept of like having a bot like that so that it can connect you. Maybe you, you connect with the people in your office, but what about the people in the other office? And, you know, having something like that in place 
definitely can can spur really great connections over the long term. Yeah, and you know, to add on top of that, which again, adding time zones to it, maybe you can't have a call, and then we have another thing where you know we have a weekly newsletter that is also shared in our um, tool that's called Threads, um, and at the end of it, you know, every I think it's every week, another person from the team just gets to answer a few personal questions just so we get to know them, in a, you know, where, where they're coming from, what, what, is, what are their hobbies? Because I know 90 people is not yet the biggest company, but when I joined, we were around 40 and I still get the chance to chat to most of them. But nowadays, you know, like it's, it's a bit more trickier. So it's, it's also helpful in a, in a written format to get to know, you know, who's actually working at the company. Yeah, so I, it, you know, it's all these things, and I, I just want to make sure that for the audience that we're just emphasizing like the amount of work that you're doing to make this, you know, work really well. Obviously, we talked about the newsletter, we talked about asynchronous meetings. You guys must actually meet in person as well, right? Like, is there a you know a company um, get-togethers that happen maybe once a year or team get-togethers that happen? Yeah, outside of of COVID, which this year. You know, we had to cancel everything, but normally we would meet once a year, like the whole company. And then there would also be, in the beginning, we called them mini retreats where just my team got together, but that changed also. So now it's the product team. So to enforce a little bit more collaboration. So theoretically, you see your team twice a year. If not a global pandemic is happening, because this year we won't see each other, which is already tricky. And the next retreat is actually planned late summer next year. So there's more than almost two years that we didn't get to see each other. Yeah, but it, it's really important, uh, you know, for people to know that, you know, just because you're remote doesn't mean that human connections aren't important, that you're doing all these extra things to make sure that they continue uh, to work. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about is culture. Uh, so obviously, you know, you talked about people in San Francisco and India, and it sounds like there's... Um, um, you know, there's obviously cultural differences. What are some What are some tips or advice that you would give people um, that are managing teams with people that have you know different cultures in, in the way that yours does? You know, I made my mistake, fair share of mistakes when it comes to that because initially you think, oh, just two people they can't talk to each other, right? So it's like a communication problem. It is a communication problem, but you have to speak those things out right if you don't like that's the mistake i did and initially i thought it's like oh two individuals can't talk to each other but if you then dig in you actually understand that it's actually more cultural and that some people you know they can't change it's just how they've grown up and how their culture is and once you kind of transparently share that with the team or with those two individuals it becomes a bit easier for them to understand okay so it's not the person that has something against me it's kind of the way they've been always living their life, right? So I think the one tip that I would give people that work with um, different cultures is to try and understand where they're coming from and, you know, make it, like, put it out, put it on the table and say, like, okay, hey, you're from Taiwan, you're from India, you're from the US, you're from Germany. We all have different ways of interacting. So let's be sure that, you know, when that happens, we acknowledge that and then find a way around it. So you don't have to, you know, dive deep into Taiwanese or Indian or German culture to understand the people, but it's important to, you know, not hide it away and say like it's just an individual problem because sometimes it isn't. It's just how, you know, a person in the West has been growing up versus a person that has been growing up in the East where, you know, structures are still more rigid and they look up to the more senior person and all of those things, right? So 
I think putting it out on the table is probably for me the biggest tip that I would give. Yeah. Do you have a story or an example of, of something that went wrong where you had to step in and uh, allow, allow people to actually acknowledge that, you know, this is miscommunication might actually be a result of uh, different upbringings? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a good example with um, the designer of my team and another engineer for where, you know, engineer and design, they have to work together. And um, that engineer is generally a very uh, product-driven person, has a lot of great insights and was always sharing thoughts around how we could make the design better. And the person, the designer coming from Taiwan, where you look up to the most senior person, you don't question them, you always say, you know, most of the times you say yes and take it in, was kind of struggling with a person that's coming from the West, always just saying how we could make things better, but just coming from a very honest point of like, let's make our product the best, right? So those two things coming together kind of created this little wall between them where one person was thinking, oh my God, they're always telling me what to do and I have to say yes to it coming from the East. And then some the other person, you know, coming from the US, kind of just wanting to be the collaborative person saying like, hey, let's do this, let's do that, make things better. And this was kind of, yeah, growing that wall between them so they couldn't actually solve what they wanted wanted to solve because they were kind of stuck in the middle of fighting the way they were communicating, right? So that's where I had to step in. And initially I thought, yeah, that's, you know, just a communication problem. Why should the engineer maybe be so focused on the design? Let's Let's look at that. But it actually wasn't. And if you understand the cultures at least a little bit, you know that, you know, Taiwanese, Eastern Chinese culture, they look up to the senior person. They rarely, you know, say say no to someone that comes from a more senior person that comes from a more senior person. So once I understood that, I, I was able to step in and, and tell them actually about that. That hey, listen, there's actually two cultures right now that are clashing. It's not, you know, you person X versus you person Y. It's actually your two cultures that we're struggling with. So let's just put it on the table. Let's talk about it and see how we can solve it, right? And and now the communication is much easier in that way because the people understand where the other one is coming from, right? Yeah, so it, it's really interesting. And so right now we're talking about actually people in, in different countries. Um, but obviously, you know, if you live in North America today or actually most countries in the world, you know, having a diverse team is, is much more common. And just because people are in different countries, they still may have, you know, a lot of immigrants, different upbringings, different parents that would have raised them uh, with, with with different values. How do you go about figuring out, you know, some of the lessons and, you know, some of the things that you just learned? Um, how did you actually get to the root of that issue? Yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm generally a very curious person. I don't get, I, I don't settle with, you know, I don't settle easily. So when that came up, um, the first thing, I did was kind of just research a little bit because I, I felt that, you know, if you have a general understanding of human and human nature, you, you're, you're curious, then you kind of start to dig in a little bit. And um, there's various things that I found. There's one thing uh, I always pronounce it. I think it's called Hofstede project or something where you can add various countries and it shows you how they align for example, for leadership, for communication, and it shows you the difference that some, you know, countries are much more positive or much more focused on freedom, where others are more following and stuff like that. So that was a first glimpse into okay, there's something with countries and with cultures. There's a there's a difference there, right? And um, that was the first entry point for me. And then 
I do tend to just continue to read about topics. And then I found two books that kind of brought me onto, you know, the the the, the road of solving this. Where one was called Culture Map, um, and then another one was called Geography of Thought. And both of those books talk about East versus West, which for me was that conflict that I wanted to solve, right? And um, reading those books and understanding that there is a difference when it comes to culture really opened my eyes to to understand that. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, and we're going to obviously include both of those uh, titles in, in the show notes. But but again, it just goes back to this concept of if you're managing people, there is this extra bit of homework to do. So um, again, now that we're all managing more diverse teams, this concept of like learning about cultures, learning about the differences, learning about personalities, uh, it, it's all kind of, you know, part of the game um, of like continuing to be uh, a better people manager. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you, Marcus, was that uh, you know you have this online guide, and, and we're going to link to it too, uh, which is your guide on just effectively running uh, one-on-ones and, and remote one-on-ones. One of the things that you talk about in this guide is this concept of active listening. And I was kind of hoping that you would give us all a crash course on active listening, what it is, and how we can become better active listeners, knowing that, you know, we're not going to be able to do a master class, <laughs> but, you know, some general tips that we can walk into going into our next one-on-one uh, and, and applying them. Yeah. Also to share maybe a little, little story on, uh, on, on top of that is that I, I wasn't, I wasn't an expert in active listening. I was struggling with it. I got feedback because I wasn't actually leaning into that skill. And um, to make that even more 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 real is I was coming from an engineering background, right? I was an engineer, was a software developer. And as an engineer, software developer, uh, you tend to get trained into solving problems. So if someone tells you, hey, we have a problem here, you're the first one to show up like, okay, how can we solve this problem, right? That's That becomes your second nature as an engineer, which is fine. I'm not saying this is wrong. But once I made a switch to become a people manager, things weren't that easy because if someone comes to you with a problem like, the example you just had with two different countries, I can't chat to the person, the person isn't understanding me. You can say, of course, I'll try to solve the problem, but you rarely get to solve those problems in, you know, just like snipping with your finger. And that's where I initially got the feedback from because I was always falling into the advice trap and just always giving advice. Someone tells me, hey, I have a problem. Oh, you should do this. You should try that, right? So that's that's where I started to focus. Okay, listen, there's something I have to get better at, which is called active listening. Active listening, you know, the words already kind of elude a little bit what it is. It's not just listening with your ears because that's what we all do, but it's really tuning into the person that's in front of you or even multiple people, but most of the times you just chat to one and really tuning in and, you know, creating this shared understanding of like, where's the person coming from? You know, like, do they have the kids around right now? Can they focus? Like, what's their emotions right now? Where are they, you know, are they upset? Where, what's what's the context around this? It sounds very complex right now, but ultimately you could even mention, you could even name it like empathetic understanding, right? You kind of use your empathy to understand the other side and see where they're coming from instead of just giving advice, you know, in, in the first second. Got it. Yeah, I, I like this um, this idea of, I think, you know, it's not just engineers. A lot of people are, are, are quick to just jump into, hey, you just told me about a problem. 
uh, I, I just want to jump in and, and give you a solution. So what do you do now? Um, wh- wh- what is your approach when someone comes to you with a problem? Yeah. Um, well, I also have to say, because I'm going to mention it probably around this topic, is that um, I did uh, a training to become also a leadership coach. So coaching actually helped me there to like, you know, take that even to another level. When someone comes to me with a problem, the first thing I do, you know, is there's two things actually that I do. The first thing is paraphrasing, right? So if someone tells you I have a problem, you take their words, you 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 take them and kind of paraphrase them with your own words and kind of mirror it back to them. And then you get a feedback of like, oh, you did understand it or you maybe missed something because if you mirror it to them in your own words and they they say, no, that's actually not what I meant, you get closer to, you know, the real thing. And maybe they say, oh yeah, that's actually what I meant. Then you're already there. So that kind of gives you and the other person a shared ground, a shared understanding of what they're coming to you with, right? So I'm not giving advice. I'm just using what they said to me and mirror it back to them to put us on the same level. That's the first thing I do. And the other thing then to follow up is, which sounds simple, but is actually to ask powerful questions. And that's what I learned in coaching. And, you know, as a manager, sometimes you can be a coach and in those situations, they help. You know, you can you can actually just ask what's actually important to you about that issue or like what's truly behind solving this? Like what's really what's really kind of upsetting you here, you know, um, or what else? Like ver- the very basic questions. And also one trick that I learned becoming a coach is never ask why questions. Just, you know, very open-ended questions so that the other person can kind of dig into the problem more so you get really to the to the deeper level of what they're actually coming to you with. Marcus, these are really great tips. I mean, I, I love the idea of paraphrasing it. I feel like getting on the same page is, is so important. And, and very often you're going to jump to try and solve a problem and you're solving the wrong problem. Uh, so I think it's super valuable. And, and I love the fact that you actually went out and got like actually became a leadership coach for other people who want to try and explore that um where can they go to do something like that well how i actually got warm with the topic of coaching is because i when i when i became a manager the first thing i did and that's why i'm also writing a book about you know starting with the inner work is i got a leadership coach like i think two or three months in and it helped me tremendously to you know, become a manager to become a better leader and to understand myself more. And that's how I found the way. So I honestly think to before you jump into becoming a leadership coach, just getting maybe a few sessions with a leadership coach or with any kind of coach can be very insightful for you if you actually like what this is like or if this is something you could, you know, envision yourself with. So this is for me how I got into it and what I would recommend a lot of managers do is to just find a coach somewhere and just try it out. And, and that makes sense. And, and so this is someone that you meet with on a weekly basis or, or do they actually um, sit in on your meetings and observe you in action as well? Well, there's probably various forms. So the coaches that I had and the coaching that I do is every two weeks. It's kind of similar to how I approach the one-on-ones, right? The coaches are there, but you bring the topics and the agenda. They have their tools. I have my tools now too to use when I'm maybe stuck with a situation or I don't know how to solve a thing. So they're they're mostly, they're mirroring back stuff to you too, right? They're asking the right questions so you find your way through the problem. That's the coaching, you know, school that I went to is kind of 30 years old. 
they kind of made coaching like a profession. And they say that, you know, every person is naturally creative, resourceful, and whole, so that everyone already has all the things in there. You just, as a coach, help them find it, right? If you look into sports, that's what a coach does, right? The coach is maybe not the best soccer player or basketball player, but they actually help all the players to get the best out of them. So that's kind of the, the, the idea of coaching is you meet with them every two weeks, you bring your topics or you bring your problems or you bring, oh, I want to get better at this. I want to, you know, maybe do this. And then they kind of help you find your way through it. That's the idea. There's probably other ways where you can invite coaches to your meetings and all of those, but that's, I wouldn't say that's coaching. That's more than maybe consulting mixed with like coaching on, on, on that front. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's super helpful. And and again, I think like a, there there are a lot of parallels. You know, I would argue that a manager's job is also to get the best out of each and every person on the team. So, Marcus, we are running uh, against time here, and uh, you know, we we've learned a lot in in chatting with you. We talked about time zones and culture. Uh, your upcoming book. Uh, we've talked about building rapport, the ninety ten rule, active listening. Uh, we talked about story time. There's a lot of different things that, that we went through. I think this has been incredibly insightful. What we usually like to end on is, you know, just any words of advice, uh, tips, resources, or anything that you would leave us with to help the audience that want to get better at their craft of management. Yeah. I mean, we've probably mentioned most of those things already, but just to summarize them is I think first, if you haven't already, find a coach that for me, in my way, in my past, it had helped me tremendously. And even to talk about it openly, you know, even going to therapy, not even not because you're sick, but just to work on yourself is also very helpful, has been very helpful for me. Secondly, stay curious and continue to learn. My favorite quote from Albert Einstein says that um, as soon as you stop learning, you start dying. For me, is something I, I strongly live by. And that's, this means, you know, reading books, reading articles, reading everything that you can get your hands on and not just, you know, business or management focused, everything can broaden your horizon. The third point that I wanted to mention is that you should also connect with others, especially if, you know, some of your listeners are remote workers or managers of remote teams. You don't get to see your team often. Connect with others outside of work, right? Find Slack groups, reach out to people on LinkedIn. That's what I did initially. And, you know, out of nowhere, I was in a video call with five people from Dropbox, right? And I was sitting here in Munich. So there's ways you can connect with others, build that network and this kind of support group for yourself to 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 live in this virtual world, right? Because you won't have all of them next to you. So you have to do it in a virtual way. That's awesome. Uh, very, very good tips. Marcus, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Supermanagers podcast. You can find the show notes and transcript at www.fellow.app slash supermanagers. If you like the content, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can get notified when we post the next episode. And please tell your friends and fellow managers about it. It'd be awesome if you could help us spread the word about the show. See you next time.